You are listening to KUCI 88.9 in Irvine. The opinions expressed on the show do not necessarily represent those of the management of KUCI or the UC Board of Regents. For more information about the show, go to KUCI.org. Good morning. This is Katrina Kirkaby, and I'm here with Tina Spindler. We are UCCE Master Gardeners, and we are here today to talk to you about our show, In the Garden with Master Gardeners. And Tina's got a lot to share with us today. Tina, welcome to March. Hi, Katrina. Oh my gosh. I, I hope you have rested up because March is just a crazy busy time in the garden. I am so excited about March. I have been working so hard to get my ground ready and pulling weeds and getting all set for March. Where do we start today, Tina? Well, you know, in our, our uh, show at the beginning of February, we were trying to get people ready. So hopefully our listeners were able to get their uh, gardens prepared. But if not, of course, where we always want to start is getting our soil ready. And we need to do that whether it's our vegetable garden or our flower garden. Right, right. No matter what we're doing, we need to start off with good soil. So if we haven't prepared our soil, what should we do now? Well, if, if we're going to plant directly in the ground uh, rather than in pots or in a raised bed, you need to dig. So you need to find somebody with a strong back, right? Strong back and a shovel. <laughs> and a shovel, yeah. Well, I got the shovel. It's always the strong back that's hard to find, right? So you can either, you know, con your um, teenagers or uh, husband or, you know, uh, pay your gardener, which is what I've resorted to. The older I get, the, the more I, I pay the gardener to do it. Uh, but in any event, you know, to get our soil ready, we need to dig down about, you know, 8 to 12 inches, uh, and we need to mix in a good layer of compost to amend that soil, because typically here in Orange County, we've got clay soil, unless you're right at the beach, and then you might have sandy soil. But either way, whether it's sandy soil or clay soil, adding that organic matter from good compost, either compost you make yourself or compost that you buy in bags, is the way to get your soil into great condition. And the way you mix it in is you just turn that soil, shovel full at a time, put about three to four inches or even more, depending on how uh, tough your soil is, of compost on top, and then use a hand cultivator, which is one of those long-handled things with the prongs at the end, and just chop that soil up, mix that compost in until you get a nice crumbly soil. Of course, if you have a really big garden, you could always get a rototiller, but um, most of us have small gardens, so, so we do it by hand. Wonderful. And then what do we do after that? Well, after that, then you're ready to plant. And so you want to choose what you're going to plant, which is absolutely the most fun thing of all, right? You know what I have to tell you? I spent so much time getting the soil ready, and we just hit it in just like 30 seconds. But it is so worth spending time on your soil. Oh, yeah. If, if you don't spend time on your soil, I can almost guarantee you won't be successful in your growing season. And that's very sad to plant all those plants and then not, not have them perform well. But if you give them a good home, then as you know, they'll, they'll perform well. So do you want to talk about vegetables first? Oh, I, I love vegetables. Let's talk about vegetables. Okay, cool. Um, well, first of all, this is assuming that you've chosen a sunny spot for your veggies, right? Because veggies don't grow very well unless they get 
at least six hours of sun a day. So if you don't have a sunny spot, don't plant it there. Exactly. Or the other thing to do is to plant it in containers where you can move the container to a sunny spot. So that's that's something that I do um, when I run out of room in my raised beds. I just use some big pots and make sure I place those on a patio or somewhere that gets good sun. So so don't fret if you don't have a sunny spot in your you know, yard area, but usually we have other places either, even in our front yards where we could put a pot, you know, oh my gosh, wouldn't that be just so out there if we put a pot of a vegetable out in the front yard? I think it's great. <laughs> it is. And actually I'm going to talk about how to make your veggie garden look really pretty and be attractive. So we'll get to that in a minute. Um, but that's one way to take advantage of the sunny spots is to use containers. But what you want to do now is you want to choose those warm season veggies. We talked about planting seeds last month, and I was encouraging folks to plant seeds in containers of warm season veggies and start them inside. Well, if you did that, uh, then in March sometime they should be big enough to plant out in the garden. And if, if uh, you didn't do that, let's go over again the warm season veggies that you want to plant this month. And, of course, our favorite, everyone's favorite, the number one vegetable grown in the country is... Tomatoes! Tomatoes! So, of course, it is tomato season. You want to go find those great tomatoes. And, uh, and Katrina, do you ever go to any of the garden shows or plant sales to get tomatoes? Oh, absolutely. One of my favorites over at the Fullerton Arboretum. Yeah, and there's going to be one in not, not too far off from now. You'll check their website, and they have hundreds of different types of tomatoes. And I'm like a little kid. My only problem is I come home with too many tomatoes. Yeah. And I just want every single one because they have such a variety over there. But there's so many places that have great selection of tomatoes. Yeah, I, find, I have found in the last few years that uh, the nurseries that didn't used to sell a lot of vegetables, I think as vegetable gardening becomes more and more popular, I've seen all the local nurseries and the big box retailers really beefing up their supply of vegetables. So you can even find a fair number of varieties at those locations now where it used to be to get the unusual ones. You would either have to grow it yourself or, or go someplace like Fullerton Arboretum. But now, you know, the local nurseries are doing a great job. In fact, um, some of them even hold uh, tomato mania. Have you ever been to one of those tomato no, manias? Yeah, Rogers Gardens last year. I don't know if they're doing it this year, but um, they, there's a group that goes around uh, kind of a traveling tomato show, so to speak, and they will show up at different uh, nurseries and they bring, oh my gosh, dozens, probably hundreds of different varieties of tomatoes on you know a certain day, usually a Saturday, and they call it tomato mania. You can probably go online and Google it and see where they're going to be in our area. But the, the cool thing about that is they have you know, virtually every kind of variety of tomato you can think of. And they bring that some of their own staff. And so these people, of course, are very well versed in tomatoes. So if you have a particular um, kind of constraint that you want to address, for instance, you only have pots and you want to make sure you have tomatoes that are really good for pots, they can probably help you choose the right ones. Oh, how wonderful. Yeah. So anyway, so tomatoes are one of our veggies that we want to plant now. And the other warm season veggies would be peppers, anything in the squash family. So that means zucchini, pumpkins, watermelon, cucumbers, all of those squash family type 
Um, veggies are what you want to plant this time of year. And then eggplant, if, if you like eggplant, uh, another great one. And then, of course, the beans, uh, whether you're growing the string beans uh, to eat fresh, the green beans, or whether you want to grow the shelling beans. Um, now's the time to plant both kinds of those beans. And there's so many different varieties of each one of those to choose from. Oh, my gosh, yeah. As we talked about in our last uh, February, What to Do in the Garden show, one of the great ways to figure out what kind of veggies you might be interested in is to just get a seed catalog uh, because the seed catalogs have so many different varieties and you can read up the descriptions in those seed catalogs and find out the names of ones that you think would be appropriate for you know your situation. For instance, if you want a tomato, you know that's an early tomato. Um, I always plant at least a few early girl varieties every year because I want some tomatoes quickly. Um, another one is Fourth of July because the you know word is if you plant it in March, you'll have tomatoes before the Fourth of July, right? So you can find those things out if you're new to gardening by getting seed catalogs and taking a look and reading the descriptions. And you know what you just said about having succession. It is really nice. I've found that I like to plant, so I have a little bit now and a little bit later. And sometimes I might plant another pe pepper down the line so I could have things going all season long. That, that's a really good point. In fact, let's, let's talk about that for just a second because... There's different um, ways, obviously, to plant these plants. We can either buy them already started, right? That's easy, and it takes the risk out of your seeds not working. Um, but you can also plant some things directly from seed, and they're actually better to plant directly from seed. So let's talk about that for just a sec. We usually want to plant directly from seed, and the way I like to remember it is seeds that are big. So beans are big seeds, squash, zucchini is a big seed, pumpkins are big seeds, cucumbers are big seeds. Those are great to plant directly in your pot, you know, your big pot that you're going to grow outside or your raised bed or directly in the ground after you've prepared your soil. Those things are good to plant because the seeds are big, they germinate relatively easily, and they might not want to be disturbed you know too much um, so they're actually great to plant directly in the ground the other type that is good to plant directly in the ground are the root vegetables so here you can generally continue to plant radishes and carrots all year round even though we grow them a lot in the winter we can still plant them in the spring and summer and those we like to plant directly from seed because they're root vegetables, and so you want to plant them right where they're going to grow because you don't want to disturb their root while you're transplanting them. So that's why if you go to the nursery, you never see six packs of carrots, right? Right. You have to plant those from seed. So think big seeds or root vegetables. Those are the two that are good to plant directly in the ground. Now, the thing is, you get this packet of seeds, and it has a gajillion seeds in it, right? <laughs> Find a friend. <laughs> yeah, and, and I'm always like, oh, no, I have to plant all of them, or I have to plant most of them. or And you do not want to do that because you will end up with more beans than you can possibly eat, more carrots than you can possibly eat. And you'll have no room for anything else. Exactly. So what you want to do, as Katrina was mentioning, is to think about succession planting. And what that is, is you plant a little bit now, and then a few weeks from now, you plant a little bit more, 
And so what I do for, for beans, for instance, is, is I'll plant about a maybe a six-foot row, you know, five to six-foot row of beans, and then I stop. I, my beds are 10 feet long, so I usually plant, you know, the length of half of the bed, one half of the bed, and then I tell myself, now you wait two weeks or three weeks, and then you can plant the other half, because if I don't, then I'm going to have, you know, way more beans than my husband and I can eat, so... And I know that from experience. I have done that before, and it is so worth waiting. because of, And we, we eat them as we go. And so if we have some beans now, and a few weeks later some more are ready, and a few weeks later, few weeks later more are ready, it's just a nice way to do it. And I've ended up giving away so many vegetables because they've all come at the same time. Exactly. And, and of course, we all know not to plant too many zucchini plants because the neighbors will start turning the other way and running away from you because you're going to be giving them so much zucchini. They roll up their windows (laughs) to their cars and they don't answer their door. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) They don't like the zucchini fairy after a while who leaves the zucchini on the doorstep. Um, But let's finish the discussion about the planting uh, from seed versus from plants. Now, You can, of course, plant tomato from seed and peppers from seed and eggplant from seed. And when I do that, I like to start those seeds in six packs indoors. And um, the time really to have done that would have been in February or or the end of January. You could still do it now and you would get your plants, you know, out a little bit later. But um, after March, I don't think I would plant um, seeds in six packs to, to plant out in the garden because they won't be ready for transplanting until June-ish, and that's kind of late. You know, the only other thing is um, if you plant them, do plant them early enough in the yard when you're doing your succession seeding and you have a limited amount of space, you can just take them from your six packs in the house into your yard if you're taking something else out. Absolutely, and that's why we wanted to start those seeds in, at the end of January or in February is because... Now they're growing, like the ones I started um, in February, you know, are a few few inches tall, and they're going to be ready for me to plant out in my garden in another week or so. So it's nice because I was able to leave all of my winter veggies, and uh, now that I'm starting to wrap up the winter veggies and pulling them out, now I have space for the tomatoes that I started and so on. But... Don't don't fear. Uh, you know, we generally only ha- most of us only have room for what maybe four to six tomatoes uh, in our gardens. So I often, when I don't get a chance to start seeds indoors, just buy them because you know I have started a bunch, and you know what I'm going to do with them? I'm going to take them to the Master Gardener Seed Exchange because I mean Plant Exchange because I have way more plants. <laughs> than I can possibly use. So watch out, Katrina. I'm going to be pawning off tomato plants on you. Oh, you might not get out of here today without giving me one of them. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so anyway, um, the tomatoes, peppers, and eggplant are, are nice things to buy already started uh, because you, if you want to try several different varieties of tomatoes, you know, then, then you have to buy five or six seed packets, and then you really only want one or two of those plants so what do you do with all the rest of the seeds so that that's kind of my advice for people who have smallish gardens is to plant in succession things like beans and cucumbers and things that you directly sow in the ground and then just go ahead and buy if you didn't already start the seeds indoors in February 
go ahead and just buy those peppers and tomatoes and eggplants already started for your garden. Excellent. Yeah, so, so anyway, that kind of gives us a list of the veggies that we want to start uh, in our garden or plant in our garden in March. But um, should we talk about some hints on how to grow some of them? Oh, Tina, you have some of the best hints out there. Oh. Share with us, please. Okay. Well, I know we, we recently had a whole show devoted to tomatoes. And if you didn't get a chance to hear that show, I think we're going to try and rebroadcast it in yes. the next few weeks. Um, so you can, you can try and tune in again for that. But in case you don't get to listen to it, let's do a little tomato primer right now because I think um, everybody's interested in tomatoes, right? Everybody. Yeah. So, so let's talk about how to plant a tomato first of all. Um, you would think that that was kind of a no-brainer. You just dig a hole, plop it in, and you're done, right? But actually, tomatoes you can plant a little bit differently. You can plant tomatoes what we call deep. And what that means is that when you get your tomato plant, whether it's been in a six-inch, uh, six-pack, uh, six-pack, not six-inch, but a six-pack, or whether it's in a four-inch, uh, you know, little square pot, what I like to do is I like to take off the lower leaves until I just kind of have a bare stem and the, the upper leaves are the ones that I leave on the plant. And the reason that I do that is every place that the lower leaves were growing, when you pinch them off, if you put that part of the plant under the ground, it will send out roots at every leaf node where it was. So what we, what we tell folks to do is say you had a four inch tomato plant, right? So the depth of the plant is also about four inches. The root ball is about four inches deep. You can dig a hole twice that deep. You pick off the leaves on the stem above the root ball and you drop that plant in or lay it on its side. If, if you want to lay it on its side, you can do that too. And only leave the top about three inches of the plant sticking out of the ground. Um, and what will happen is you'll get a much bigger root structure because it will now send out roots where all of those leaves were that you picked off because you've now buried that part of the stem. So you say we'll have a more stronger, more vigorous plant by right. doing that. Right, because think about it. You know, the more, the more roots you can get out into the ground faster, the more nutrients and water that plant is taking up. So it will be more vigorous. Wonderful. So that's the first tip. The other thing we should talk about is, have you ever had a tomato plant that's kind of out of control, takes over your whole garden, falls yes. over? Yes. 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 And have you ever, back when you were a brand new gardener, have you ever used those little cages they sell you, those small ones, the little circular ones with the little four legs that you poke Fortunately in the ground? Fortunately not. Oh, no, someone got not. to you. Yeah. So the rule of thumb, if you're a master gardener, is never, never, never use those tomato cages because they are way too small. They are too small, yes. Yeah. They're good for peppers. They should call them pepper cages. They should call them pepper cages. <laughs> They're good for peppers and eggplants, not so much for tomatoes. No, seriously, the, the tomato plants just are too vigorous for those. So here's um, three different kinds of trellising sy systems that I like to use, and then you can tell me which one is your favorite, Katrina. Um, so one of the first things that you can do to make your own tomato cage is you buy, a sh uh, it's kind of sold in a sheet. It's called concrete reinforcing wire. And 
it's just a, a, a wire grid that they put in concrete, I guess, to reinforce the concrete when they pour it, but it makes the best tomato cage. And you just get those and you cut them into uh, a piece, a rectangular piece, that when you make a cylinder out of it is going to be about two feet wide. So you'll want like a four to five foot piece of this concrete reinforcing wire and then you bend it into a circle. You hook the ends together by just bending the wire over itself on the other side when you turn it into a cylinder. And now you've got this cylinder that you can just put right over your tomato cage. I mean tomato plant. And it becomes a tomato cage for this plant. But because it's concrete reinforcing wire, it's very sturdy. And then I also use a stake that I pound into the ground about a foot deep and then I tie the cage to it, to the stake. That way if the wind blows or the plant gets heavy and it starts to lean, it's not going to fall over with the whole cage because the cage is now attached to the stake that is pounded into the ground. Now do you use one stake or do you use one st two stakes, one on each side? Two stakes, one on each side is ideal, but sometimes I get greedy and I, you know, end up with more tomatoes than I have <laughs> stakes, you know. And so I have found actually that, that if you're in a pinch and you don't have two stakes, that one stake usually will suffice as yeah. long as it's not Santa Ana winds blowing. And you don't live in the like hills. And exactly. But yeah, you're right. Two stakes, one on each side would, would be perfect. So that's one way of making a really sturdy t uh, cage. And then the way that you pick your fruit is because concrete reinforcing wire, uh, the distance between the wires are about six inches. You can just put your hands right through and pull off the fruit. And when I cage the tomatoes that way, I don't prune the tomatoes at all. I just let them grow into this big old, you know, crazy bush and let it go whichever way it wants. And that way you get a ton of fruit. You won't get the biggest fruit that way because you're letting the plant produce as much greenery as it wants to. So, so your fruit might be a little bit smaller, but you get a ton of it. And, and especially if you live in inland Orange County, where you live, Katrina, mm -hmm. and it gets really hot, this is a great way to grow tomatoes because the plants kind of shade themselves, you know, and so you don't get that sun scald mm -hmm. on your fruit because you're just letting the plant be really big and bushy. So, But my, my second way I do it, because growing the tomatoes that way takes a lot of space, right? Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. So... Uh, growing them that way, you know, requires that you, because you want a little bit of space in between your plants, so you've got this, you know, say, two and a half foot in diameter tomato, plus then you need to leave a foot so that you have air circulation maybe between the next cage. You don't want them right touching each other. So you can imagine that takes up a lot of space. So what I do, since I do most of my gardening in a raised bed, so I have limited space, is I grow my tomatoes on a trellis, a flat trellis. And again, I use the concrete reinforcing wire. And in my 10 foot long raised beds, I use four of those poles that you use to stake trees with, you know? Those large poles. Those large tall poles. So I get um, four of those six foot ones. And this is a one time investment, you know, because I had the same poles for, I don't know, eight years or whatever. And you just pound those poles along one end of your bed. And then you take the concrete reinforcing wire. And this time, you just leave it flat. 
instead of curving it around to make a cylinder like we did for the cage. Mm -hmm. This time you just leave it flat and you use zip ties to tie it to the poles. So now what you've got is a flat trellis that goes the whole length of a row of tomatoes. And then, of course, I plant the tomatoes right next to that trellis, spaced at least three feet apart. And then as the tomato plant grows, now I prune my tomatoes a little bit because... And could you tell us a little bit about pruning? A lot of people don't know don't know you can prune your tomatoes. Yeah, so, so what happens with a tomato is it sends up its main stalk, right? And mm -hmm. then it has leaves that come out of the side, and the main stalk keeps growing and sending out more leaves to the side, right? Mm -hmm. But as it keeps growing, that main stalk starts to get friends because everywhere there's a leaf that grows out to the side, a new little sub-stem will start growing. So now you have not only the main stalk, but you have all of these side branches that are growing out where the leaves attach. If you want to have a plant that is putting more energy into big fruit, one of the things you can do is prune out those side stems. So when they start to grow, you just cut them off right next to the leaf. So are you saying you'd end up with one main stem for each plant? It, it depends. That's the third way of trellising a tomato. So we talked about making a circular cage, a cylinder, mm -hmm. out of the concrete reinforcing wire. We've talked about doing a flat trellis using the poles. And the third way to stake a tomato is to do a single stake. And in that case, you want to get at least a six-foot, maybe an eight-foot pole, because as we all know, indeterminate tomatoes keep growing and growing and growing. And in the case of staking it to a single pole, you want to only have the main stem. So you would cut out each of those side branches as they appear and just keep tying the main stem to that single stake. And that way you get some you know, pretty good sized fruit and you can also plant your plants, as you can imagine, closer together because you're not allowing them to have that bushy side branch thing going on. Now for the trellis, the flat trellis, you trim out some of those side branches, but you don't have to trim out all of them because remember you're tying the plant to that flat trellis as it grows. So I don't cut out all of the side ones. I cut out some of them, and the rest of them I tie up to the trellis as they grow. Now when you're doing that, do you cut out closer to the bottom so there's more air at the bottom, or do you cut them out in the middle, or do you just cut out some of all of them? Well, you do it as the plant is growing, so by definition you should be doing it when the plant is young. So you you automatically kind of do it at the bottom because you're doing it as the plant is young and growing. So it's those bottom ones that will most likely be cut out. And then as the plant gets taller, of course, you're going to have, um, you know, some of them continuing to branch out and flower, but you're less likely to cut those off because at that point you want the fruit. So, And at that point, quick Quite frankly, I'm tired of it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it just gets overwhelming. It's like, oh my gosh. Yeah. So do it, do it when they're young so that your plants are, you know, a manageable size. The exception is if you are doing the single uh, stake method, you do kind of have to stay on top of it because you only want that one main stem to be growing up the length of the, the stake. Um, so anyway, those are the three 
ways of staking your tomatoes. And again, don't buy those puny little tomato cages. They'll just... Oh, it's horrible. Your plant will outgrow them in less than a month, and then you'll have this rangy, nasty-looking, ugly tomato <laughs> trying to take over your entire yard. <laughs> you know, Tina, I do... The first two ways that you talked about, I, we, that's what we do in our garden. But also when you're doing the long, when you're doing the 10-foot... I tend to bring that concrete wire a little higher because my tomatoes get taller than it. Yeah. So I need more help at the top than I do at the bottom. How tall do you do you let yours your wire go? How tall? I, I use the full sheet. You do. And I how and how high is that? Oh, I don't know. It's probably what five feet. What would you say? Four feet. So you know, four feet high. Or I, it's probably taller than that. It's the, yeah, it's, it's quite high. Because I do mine about six feet. Is that what they are? Yeah, six, they're six yeah. foot. But then I bring it off the ground because some of those big tomatoes. Oh, so that's I, a I don't good idea. Out, I bring it up about a foot, foot and a half. Oh, that's a good idea. Especially the larger tomatoes. Yeah. They, I, at the top, then they're starting they start to start flopping, and around. Yeah. And I'd rather have the support up there than the support right down there. Oh, that's a good idea. And I could take a piece of. Um, What's that plastic gardening tape? Right. And if they're still short and they need a little help, I can use a piece of that gardening tape and hold it up to and tie them up. support until it gets tall enough. Oh, that's, that's a good hint. Yeah, really good hint. And then I, I, I use something also called a Texas tomato cage. Now, those cages are worth buying. Yeah. Those you want to tell our listeners what those are? Oh, well, they're, they're pretty like the cylinder that you were talking about, but they've already come pre-done. Right. So it's, you get, get them in a box, they're flat, you snap them open. But what's also nice about them, you could stack them. Oh. So you can make them too high, so you could have wow. a tall... And that's probably, what, eight feet tall if you stack two of them, right? Aren't they like Something four like feet? They're, yeah. pretty, they're pretty tall. Yeah. You know, I haven't put my cages up. I'm getting ready to do that, so I'm just getting ready for everything. But that's, that's the other way I do it. And then I do exactly what you do is plant it in the middle, give it plenty of space. And those are the two methods that we do it. Yeah, and, and the, rena, the reason that Katrina is giving her tomatoes space is tomatoes are subject to fungal diseases. And if you give them some air circulation, you're less likely to get the fungal diseases. So that's, that's why we keep harping on having a little bit of space, is we don't want you to be diseased. <laughs> now, let me ask you a question about disease and space. When would you water them? Would you water them in the morning, Tina, or would you water them in the evening? Well, the main thing to do is to make sure that the foliage doesn't get wet or gets wet for as short a period of time as possible. So a couple ways to achieve that. And one is to not use overhead sprinklers if you can help it. And so what I use in my vegetable garden is soaker hoses. Other people use drip systems. And what that does is it waters the base of the plant down near the earth and doesn't get the foliage wet. But if your situation is, you know, you have overhead sprinklers and that's what you've got in your yard, then I would water in the morning first thing so that foliage can dry off um, during the day as soon as the sun comes up. Because if you water at night, the foliage is going to stay wet all night long. That gives an environment for those fungal diseases to proliferate. So we want to try and keep that foliage, you know, dry either through air circulating or by not getting it wet in the first place. Gotcha. Hey, Tina, we're about halfway through our show, and there's a couple things that we need to say because we're on the air. And the first one is that you are listening to KUCI 88.9 in Irvine. And we also need to let you know that the opinions expressed on this show do not necessarily represent those of the management of KUCI or the UC Board of Regents. 
For more information about this show, go to KUCI.org. Thank you for letting me interrupt you for a second. Oh, of course. We want everyone to know that we're really excited to be on KUCI and have this show. It's a new new venture for us this since last fall, and, and we're really enjoying it, and we hope our listeners are too. Indeed, indeed. Well, tell us more about watering of our tomatoes, or should we go on to other vegetables first? Uh, I think we're probably good with the watering of the tomatoes. Uh, people always ask, how often should I water? And, and they're always disappointed in Master Gardeners, I think, when we can't give them a straight answer. When you say depends. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and the reason it depends is because it depends on the water, on your type of soil, um, on on where your garden is located, if, if you're planting directly in the ground or in a pot or in a raised bed, all of those things factor into how often you should water. So suffice it to say that you should use your finger, which is your best moisture tool, um, and just you know poke your finger in the ground. And if the top inch of the soil is dry, that's okay. But if it's dry any deeper than that, then you want to water. Um, so generally in the summer, I water the veggie garden about twice a week uh, is, is my rule of thumb, unless we have Santa Ana's or unless we have like 90 degree temps, and then you might need to water, you know, every other day. And, and, and they will tell you too. Yeah, you'll see your plants wilting. Uh, and also, of course, if you have just planted something, you will probably need to water it every day for the first, you know, few days that it is um, been planted uh, unless it's overcast and we don't have any sun. Kind but of like babies, they need to be fed often. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So it's something as you garden, you'll you'll get the hang of it. And it's important not to overwater, especially if you're planting directly in the ground. Uh, in pots, it's almost impossible to overwater because the water drains out of a pot um, because you never plant in a pot unless it has a drain hole. So you don't really have to worry about overwatering your pots quite as much. Raised beds, kind of the same thing. They have good drainage. But if you're planting directly in the ground, you especially don't want to overwater because you can get root rot and other fungal nasty diseases that will kill your plants. So, so don't overwater if you can help it. And we're in a drought. That would be a good thing not to do also. Anyway, that's right. Um, let's talk for another minute about veggies, and then we'll move on to maybe some of our decorative plants. But I wanted to give a couple other hints about um, planting some things. And the one I want to talk about, because I have this issue in, in my garden because of my clay soil, and that is when I plant seeds directly in the ground, when you have clay soil, even though you've amended it, do you know how when the, the very top layer of your clay soil dries out, it gets kind of hard? Oh, yes. Yeah. So as you can imagine, the seeds aren't real happy if that top layer of the soil is hard. It, it gets tough for them to crack through. So what I started doing a couple of years ago, and I really like to do this whenever I plant from seed in the ground, I just I do it as a matter of course now, is instead of covering the seed up with the soil that's in my bed, I cover it with potting soil. Mm -hmm. I just use a little bag of potting soil, and you know I dig the trench, the little trench for the seeds, whatever they are. Say they're, say they're um, green beans, you know, and I need a half inch to an inch deep furrow to put those seeds in. Then I just fill up the furrow after I put the seeds in with potting soil. So potting soil is nice and loose, right? And so those little seeds are just happy campers because they can push right up out of. 
And it doesn't take that much potting soil to put them right on top. No. And it's especially nice for the seeds that are real tiny. You know, like if you're doing carrot seeds, um, those are pretty fine little seeds or lettuce seeds. And uh, so they especially, you know, you're only planting those a quarter inch or an eighth of an inch deep. And so just a light sprinkling of that potting soil on top. And they don't have to push out a dirt clot out of the way or, you know, a little rock out of the way. They're able to get their little heads right right out of the ground. Oh, that's a great idea. The other thing to note about planting beans, too, is you know how when you look at a bean, there's like one side has like a little scar on it? Mm-hmm. Well, that's where the root's going to come out. So if you can, when you're putting your beans in that little furrow that you're you're planting, put it with that scar side down because the root will then go directly into the ground. Now, if you put it on its side or upside down, the root will figure out which way to go. But if you've ever planted seeds and you see some of them come up and then others don't come up for like another four or five days, and so you've got these plants that are kind of different heights, and you're like, what the heck? I planted them all at the same time. Well, I I discovered through reading that the reason that happens is if the root has to come, if it's coming up through the top and then has to turn around and go back down into the ground, that's taking a little bit longer than if you just planted them so that the root went directly down into the ground. So anyway, little tidbit. Good tidbit. Those yeah. are a couple really good tidbits that make everything a little bit easier on us yeah. and on the plants. Yeah. Uh, the other thing that I'll uh, t- chat about too is the other way to use that um, trellis that I talked about, the trellis that goes along the whole length of your bed, is that's a great way to grow cucumbers as well as uh, beans. Uh, you can tie the cucumber plants up to that trellis and then you know, the cucumbers will hang down. And not only does it look really cool, but it allows you to save space by having those cucumbers go grow vertically rather than sprawling out in your bed. You know, I think no matter how much space you have, that is just so nice. I have a lot of space to garden, and we try to eat most of our food out of our garden, and I run out of space, and I have a big garden. <laughs> I know. So putting those cucumbers up means I could plant something else. Yeah, absolutely, because you put the cucumbers up or the beans up, and then, like, my, my beds are um, five feet wide, ten feet long and five feet wide, but then I only use one foot of that five-foot width. For the beans, you know, and then I have four feet in front of it that I can do peppers or, you know, some something else, eggplant. Um, and, of course, we'll just remind our listeners that when you do put up a trellis, make sure that the trellis is along the north side of your garden so that it's not shading the plants that you're trying to grow near it. So north side, just remember north side, that's where the trellis goes, and then the shorter plants go in front. And let's see, is there any other tidbit? Oh, yeah, I know. Let's talk about um, squash or watermelon or pumpkins. They like to grow in hills. I don't even know why. Do you know why, Katrina? I don't know why. But you know they like, I mean, you plant yours in hills too, right? Yeah. So what you want to do there is you want to just make a little hill. I make mine about, oh, I don't know, about eight inches tall. Is that about how tall yours are? And and I just make a a hill, and and the hill is about eight inches tall, and it's probably... Oh, 12 to 18 inches in diameter. And then you plant three three seeds usually because um, you want three plants. Or what I do is I plant six seeds. I put two seeds in each hole, but I'll thin them so that I end up with three plants, whether it's watermelon or 
uh, zucchini or pumpkin. Um, I think I, it must be they like the drainage. Uh, the, the drainage is better if you plant them in a hill. And I don't know, I guess they just like company. They just seem to do better when they're planted in a hill for some reason. And if you do that, though, do remember to read the package about how big those zucchini plants and watermelon plants get because you need tons of space. Oh, my goodness. I planted something called the Long of Naples last year, and this plant got at least 15, 20 feet long. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> and the fruit on it, I think they said it's supposed to be between 15 and 25 pounds. Oh my, oh my gosh! It is huge. Whoa! And it, it is wonderful, but it will take over your garden. Oh my gosh! And it is just, and I had no idea. I'm like, oh yeah, I really don't get that big. Uh huh, uh huh. And this thing, I had it trellising out of my my garden and along the wall, and I mean, it was wonderful. But we had to plan get-togethers when we picked the thing because it was so much, so much vegetable oh my gosh <laughs> and we would just grill big chunks of it but yeah you really have to be prepared because i had i've never had anything grow like that and it was wonderful but it yeah grew. well I'll, I'll tell you um you know speaking again to the the raised bed thing that i do even though i get the variety of zucchini that is supposed to be compact you know and you read on the label it'll tell you if it's a compact growing variety the that will take up half of one of my beds just you know don't even bother to try and put anything else it has to have a five by five foot area for that zucchini plant minimum and that's letting it grow over the edges of the bed yeah. but if you try to plant I mean I remember you know the first year I tried to plant something next to it and it just disappeared under <laughs> peppers were like buried under the oh yes under we the have zucchini. done that too yeah. we have done that too so, um, so yeah, so those are some hints. Read about, the labels. Yeah. Yes, read the labels, read the seed packages. And, you know, it might be really little right now, but when it says it's going to get this big, you got to be prepared for yeah, it. Yeah, absolutely. It, it, it is a good idea to read those, read those packages. Oh, and, you know, I think I forgot to mention when you were preparing your soil and getting ready to plant, don't forget to put fertilizer oh, in yeah. the – yeah, we got to mix some organic – vegetable fertilizer in in that soil before you plant so is there a number they should look for on the package you know it depends on what you're growing and um if you're growing a fruiting type of plant so that would be like a tomato or an eggplant or a bean then you want the middle number of the three numbers that are on all fertilizer packages the first number is nitrogen just to refresh everyone's memory and that makes the green part of the plant grow the second number is phosphorus, and the third number is potassium. And that middle number, phosphorus, is what assists in flowering and fruiting. And so for that, for a tomato type of food, you would want that middle number to be a little bit higher. So you might look for one that is 4-6-4, something like that, the middle number a little higher. Um, if you're growing things like lettuce, though, you know, lettuce is just a leaf, so you would want the nitrogen number perhaps to be a little higher. Uh, when in doubt, and if, like me, you're planting a variety of things all in the same bed, um, I just get something that says vegetable fertilizer, <laughs> and that works. So a balanced fertilizer is one where the numbers are, you know, close to one another, like 455 or 554 or something like that. So, um, you know, when I first started off, I heard about nitrogen making things grow, 
And so I gave my plants, vegetables, a lot of nitrogen. Well, they grew. I had the tallest tomatoes in town, but I didn't have a lot of fruit. There you have it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Do not feed your vegetables lawn fertilizer. Not a good idea. <laughs> it won't they, kill them, but you'll get pretty green and nothing to eat. Oh, and really, really tall. <laughs> Where's my fruit? Yeah. Yeah. So let's let's move on though. Um, let's talk about fertilizer though for a second because um, March is the month to fertilize everything. everything, everything, everything. So the rule of thumb with fertilizer is when a plant is actively growing, give it food. Kind of like your children when they were, you know, your your sons were teenage boys. Man, did you have to give them food, right, to right. keep them growing? So same thing with our our. Um, Landscape plants. Now, they're all going to be growing like crazy beginning in March. So March is a great month to fertilize your fruit trees, whether they're citrus, avocado, deciduous fruit trees, the stone fruits, um, apples, whatever fruit tree you are growing. If you're growing berries, you know, give them fertilizer also. The other uh, plants that you want to fertilize are pretty much any of your trees, shrubs, and perennials. They're all sending out new growth, and particularly if you have perennial plants that are going to be blooming, uh, Shasta daisies, daylilies, uh, status, you know, any of those staples in our garden, give them some food in March. They may already be trying to bloom in March. Some of them, I know my status is already blooming. Um, but give them some food. That you give them a little bit of food, and you'll have a better and longer uh, time of bloom, bigger flowers, and especially your roses. Um, we, we probably should have started fertilizing our roses um, towards the end of last month, but if you didn't, for sure, start fertilizing them in March. Just pretty much fertilize. If you haven't done it, do it. Yeah, absolutely. In fact, you know what I use in my backyard is I use one of those lawn fertilizer things, you know, mm -hmm. that you crank and it spits the fertilizer mm -hmm. out all over. I use that wherever I have shrubbery and perennials because it's just easier than fertilizing individual plants. Just, you know, spread it out there with a spreader mm -hmm. and make sure all of your plants get a little bit of a fertilizer. Um, but do remember that the rule of thumb when fertilizing is you never want to fertilize dry soil. So always water first, then fertilize, then water again to, so that you're watering that fertilizer into the soil. Now would you do a, a deep or a light uh, water both those times? I would do... Um, I would do a fairly deep one first, you know, so that the roots are nice and moist. And then when you're watering the fertilizer in, it could be just a light water. Because remember, each time you irrigate, more of that fertilizer is going to percolate down into the root zone. So, um, but you, you know, you could water, you know, pretty deeply on either end if, if you wanted to. The only reason I hesitate on the after you've spread the fertilizer is if you don't take the time to scratch it into the soil and you water too much, then your fertilizer is going to float away. Okay. So one of the reasons I would water more heavily before you fertilize to get the ground and the roots nice and moist and then lighter after you've put the fertilizer down so that it doesn't just wash out into the surrounding you know, area. Also, we, we all should be conscious of not washing our fertilizer down into the gutter because it um, it's not good for our waterways. We get those algae blooms, oh, you know? Yeah, it's not good yeah. for our waterways. And, you know, it's wasting water. When you said about w w flowing away, I went, 
I could, don't think I could ever water enough for it would flow away. Yeah, because you're so careful about watering. <laughs> when you said that, I just caught yeah. me off guard. I'm like, how could you water that much? We're in a drought. Yeah, yeah, no, you should, you should never be doing that, but... You yeah, know. and it's very. We're having a lot more problems, aren't we, with people putting fertilizer and washing away and other chemicals going into our waterways. Yeah, that's that's a big a big issue, and we don't want to contaminate. You know, we're so close to the ocean; all of that stuff goes right out into the ocean. So, um, another reason to use organics. You know, maybe a little less um, damaging to the environment if you're using a, an organic fertilizer, but. But just be careful and, and water appropriately so that you don't wash it out into our waterways. That's that's the best thing. You know, use enough to soak it in, but not enough to wash it away. Exactly, yeah. And and rem- always, always, the best tool in your garden is you. Um, and watching what's happening and not just depending on those automatic sprinklers and so on. Um, and speaking of you being the best tool, you and I both walk out in our garden, what, pretty much every every morning? Yes. And, and we look for nasty little creatures. Snails. Yes. This time of year, it's snail hunting. It's snail hunting season. Soon, it will be aphid hunting season. Um, but that's the other thing to do in March. As the weather starts warming up and all the plants are sending out new growth, the bugs are going, hooray, more stuff time. to eat. <laughs> it's party time. Yeah. So be, um, I think we talked about this last month too, um, bait for snails. We, we should have started that last month. If you didn't, for sure, start it in March. Keep those snail populations under control. Watch the new growth on plants. That's really attractive to aphids. Squirt those aphids off with a strong jet of water to keep them under control. Um, if you get a little heavier infestation, spraying with insecticidal soap um, can help. Um, but basically, be in your garden, catch things early, and that way you won't have a huge problem develop. Gotcha. Yeah. Anything, any special things you're doing for pest control? No, pretty much the same thing. I, you know, I just read something about um, even if you step on a snail, you might not kill the, the, <gasps> kill really? the babies. Yes. I just read that recently. I don't know. Oh, man, that's my favorite way to do away with snails. Mine, too. I'm like, oh, no. My husband says, well, just leave them in the sun. Well, that's true. My other favorite thing to do is to throw them in the street and let them cook on the blacktops. I I also give them to my neighbor's chickens. Oh, that's the best way of all. And they love the chickens, just love the snails. I save a lot of my kitchen waste for them, my green waste, and I don't throw any snails in there and... Off they go to my neighbor's chickens. That's a great idea. Cause but not can, everybody has neighbors that have chickens. That's true. I, I, well, you know, I actually have one neighbor, but it's it's too far to walk. But, um, yeah, that's a great idea, though. Recycle those snails into eggs. Yeah, and then sometimes that you, you can get eat. the eggs. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's great. Well, let's spend our last few minutes um, talking about the pretty part of our garden, our, our flowers. Oh, yeah. And uh, let's talk about um, what flowers you might want to plant now. The list is pretty endless. So March is a great month to plant perennials. So if you have uh, some areas in your yard that you want to plant some flowers that you want to leave, that you want to have there kind of all the time, the perennials are, you know, a great solution. And there's, gosh, there's so many to name. We, we could never name them all, but some of my, my favorites. Real quick question to yeah. you. Not everybody knows what a perennial is. Oh, good point. Um, A perennial is a plant that lasts more than one season, and generally they will last for several years. 
So in the case of trees, obviously, they last for potentially hundreds of years. But most of the perennial flowers that we're talking about last anywhere from three to, to ten years. They don't last forever, except in the case of things like roses and camellias. You know, those will last for a good long time. Um, but the perennials I'm talking about now are, and you can still plant roses, obviously, if you buy them in containers, like a five-gallon container. You could plant a rose in March. Perfect time to plant them. Um, but I generally... Uh, plant roses in January when you can get the bare root roses because they're cheaper and they're sleeping so I think they're easier to plant then. But you can still plant them in containers. Uh, but the other perennials I was more thinking of were like the flowering perennials. One of my favorites as you know is Shasta daisies um, because I've given you some Shasta daisies I think yes. to plant yes. and uh, they are just wonderful. They, it's not that the plant lives forever, but, but they make babies. And so once you plant them, you kind of have them forever. And they're just such a happy flower. They're a great flower for cutting. So I like Shasta daisies, super easy. Another easy one are daylilies. Um, now, those you can't cut, but they, they bloom forever, uh, most of the year, pretty much in this yeah. climate. Uh, so they're a nice way to get color in your garden. Um, another favorite of mine is Coreopsis. I, I like Coreopsis. I love them. Yeah. Um, the, the Status, the straw flower, another great perennial. Penstemon, um, that's a nice one to give you some more vertical flowers because they grow you know, on a, on a long vertical stem. Those are short-lived. They generally, in my garden, only last um, two to three years, so they, they don't last quite as long. Ask some others. Do you have some that, that are your favorites? Indigo spires. Oh, the salvias. Yeah, the salvias are fabulous. And, and that indigo spires is a, is a great one. Yeah. Um, and then also the, um, the Mexican sage, the salvia lucantha, if you need a bigger shrub. And you have lots of room. Yeah. I it, planted in too small of a space, and it just trying to manage something that's too big in a small space is not a lot of fun. No, it's not. But if that's you have a lot of space, it's wonderful. Yeah, if you have a lot of space, it's a great one because it, it fills up. Uh, I've got a bunch of them, and probably it's a five-by-five five yeah. area for one one bush. Yeah, yeah. and, and uh, but the thing I like about that particular salvia is it blooms in the fall when, when a lot of other stuff isn't blooming. So that's kind of a fun one to have. And that's why I keep it in my too small of a space because it blooms in the fall and it's beautiful. I just have to be a little extra care for it. Yeah. Keeping it in check. Yeah. And then another one that I like is Rudbeckia, um, which is the, um, you know, sunflower, sunflowery looking one. Mm -hmm. um, it comes in oranges, usually with a uh, brown center. Mm -hmm. Black-eyed Susan it's yes. sometimes called. Yes, yes. And that is a short-lived perennial also, only two to three years, but um, I just love them. They're also a great cut flower. So with that and the Shasta daisies, you can have a really, really nice bouquet, little little status straw flower in there as a filler, and, and you've got a great, great arrangement in your house. Um, so... I think that the those are great to plant now, those perennials. And then just quickly, because we're running out of time, of course, the annuals, which are the plants that are only good for one season, you know, one summer. In March, we can plant all of our petunias and marigolds and sunflowers, those kinds of warm season. Vinca is another one. Any others that are your favorites? 
for warm oh, season. You're naming them. Yeah. And, and of course, you know, alyssum, um, you know, those those things that you can plant. Zinnias, another one I love to plant. And if you can find the tall zinnias or plant those from seed, um, those make beautiful cut flowers. If you can find the taller varieties, mm -hmm. some of them, you know, are just like for edging your garden beds. But um, if you can find the tall ones, those make fabulous cut flowers and they love the heat. So now, Tina, you do such a nice job. You walk into Tina's house and she has flowers from her garden all the time in her house and it's just beautiful it just brings the outside in and makes everything warm and wonderful and oh thanks it's just a really really nice thing to, it makes you smile when you walk in oh thanks well that's this flowers are my favorite that's how I got into gardening and speaking of that I'm just going to rattle off a couple of bulbs because you know I'm a bulb person and in March you can plant glads gladiola fabulous you know thing to plant and uh, you can plant those every few weeks and then you'll kind of have a uh, section of your garden that you can keep cutting to bring inside. Also the um, tuberous begonias and then next month um, the dahlias which I love. Those are amazing for cut flowers. Okay so I got a plug too. Okay. I got a plug. <laughs> I, I love doing this. In with all my beautiful flowers I plant some vegetables. Good for you. And I love it and people will come to my house and they'll see this thing and they go Oh my goodness, what a beautiful plant. And they'll say, what is it? And I might say, it's a pepper. Yeah. Or it's, I had these incredible cauliflowers last year in my winter garden. Oh. And it was just beautiful. And they just couldn't, people couldn't believe what they were. But you go outside and you can pick these things and they're right outside your door. So I love mixing my oh. flowers with my vegetables. I'm too. glad you brought that up because I especially want to encourage the people who plant in containers to use containers that are attractive, you know, that match your decor, like beautiful clay or something. Plant a, a beautiful pepper or a tomato. Get a really pretty obelisk as your trellis. And then around the edge, plant marigolds or petunias or something that's going to, lantana that's going to drape over the edge. And then all of a sudden your tomato isn't an ugly vegetable, but it's this beautiful um, arrangement that you have because you've combined, as you said, the pepper with the flowers or the tomato with the flowers. So so don't be afraid as as um, we, we just said, be sure that you incorporate those veggies into, in with your flowers. It can make it really attractive. Oh, well, with that being said, I think we're kind of getting to the end of our show. And I want to thank everybody for listening to us. And if you have any questions, you can um, email us on our hotline number, and that's H-O-T-L-I-N-E at U-C-C-E-M-G dot com. You can also check out our website at www.U-C-C-E-M-G dot com. There's all kinds of questions you might have uh, between those two sources. You can email one, the other one you can just look up and there's a lot of different um, sections there that you can just jump into and find out what you're looking for. And also, Katrina, we will have available, if, if it isn't available now, it will be soon, on our uccemg.com website, we now have a page for our radio show. So go to that website and click on Projects, and under Projects, you'll see the KUCI radio show, In the Garden with Master Gardeners. And when you get to that page, we will have links to our podcasts of these shows so that you can listen to this show at your convenience. 
So check out the website, not just for general gardening information, but to catch one of our shows at a time that's more convenient for you. Wonderful. Well, Tina, thank you so much, as always, for all your wonderful expertise and advice. And we hope you all have a wonderful day. And thank you for joining us, uh, uh, with joining us in the garden with Master Gardeners. <laughs>